Welcome to the Paragold Podcast. My name is Jared Pitney, and I'm joined today by Gary Cremines, who is a pulpit minister at Hillcrest Church of Christ here in Paragold. Uh, Gary served as an associate minister at Bono Church of Christ during the time of the West Side School shooting, uh, which happened just outside of Jonesboro. And he also officiated funerals for two of the shooting victims, 32-year-old Shannon Wright, who was a teacher at Westside, along with 12-year-old Paige and Hearing. And now um, we get the opportunity to sit with uh, Brother Gary as he shares some of his reflections on this tragedy um, that has occurred over 23 years ago. That almost doesn't even seem possible. And so I just want to start by saying thank you so much for being here and for your willingness to talk about something that I know has deeply impacted you and so many others. I'm honored to be here. I really am. So let's just um, start here, if you will. Um, can you just take us back to March 24th, 1998? Uh, where were you, and what exactly do you remember about the events that unfolded that day? Right, let me do just a, a little bit of clarification. Um, sure. I had been the associate minister and then from 92 until, uh, excuse me, from 90 to 92, and then became the pulpit minister at Bono from 92 until April of 97. I had actually already moved to Perigold mm-hmm. when all of the events happened on March the 24th of 98. The interesting thing about that day is I had gone to St. Bernard's to visit one of the members there at Bono, one of the deacons there at the time who had suffered a mild stroke and had just walked into the hospital at St. Bernard's. And at that time, the HIPAA laws were a lot different. A minister could go in and, and you could, you know, if they knew you and they liked you and that kind of thing, they would give you maybe the entire list of who was in the hospital. You could you could ask for your particular group, you know, our churches of Christ or whatever. But um, a lot of times, the people I'd go up there a couple of times a week, and 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 they knew me and and that kind of thing. Well, as I approached the desk that day, where the the ladies who volunteer who would have that information, one of them said, "There's been a shooting at Westside, and there are 15 ambulances on the way to here." And I said, "Where where would the families be meeting?" And they told me to where I should go. And I was actually the first one there in the room as the first ambulance came into St. Bernard's on that particular day. So I was in there as family members, friends, all kinds of people started coming in. And so I just happened to be at St. Bernard's when, when the folks started coming in. What time of the day? That, see, the shooting was around 12.45. Yes, and by shortly after 1 o'clock... You know, not long after that, I think twelve forty three is is I may have been the official time of when things started happening, but it wasn't very long after one o'clock before ambulances started arriving. What was that like? Obviously, there's nothing in our training that prepares us. I feel like for something quite that catastrophic. And it's always the kind of thing that happens some other place. You know, here we are, we're talking small, middle-sized town in America in a a place where generally these kinds of acts of what we would consider extreme violence wouldn't normally occur, or especially at that particular time, and especially by by kids. And, And the interesting thing 
I found interesting, of course, there were a lot of things going on at the very same time, you know, well, people have been panic and all that, but uh, kids that were coming in, they already knew who had done it. And, and they were talking about things that had been said previous day and, and all those kind of things that maybe should have been warning signs. But, you know, the problem in our world is, is we talk a lot. And, and I think that's the, the, the thing that they got into is things, you know, you know you, you, something big is going to happen tomorrow. Well, that, that happens a lot, but nothing ever comes about. And so when this happened, people knew immediately who was responsible. And that was kind of a because they were their classmates and their friends. And the personal contact I had as much as anything else is I knew some of those who had been victims. Several of the, the ones who had been been shot were, and, and at least one of the ones, at least one of the ones who, two of the ones, excuse me, who died had ridden my dad's bus. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and 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 I knew personally many of those kids, and um, it was just so many. And and Shannon Wright, the teacher who died, had was one of the members there at Bono, and so I'd known her pretty much all of my life because that's where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And so that that just it was such a devastating thing for everyone who was involved in that. Um, what do you do whenever you? What did you do when you found yourself there in the room with all these people who obviously were in shock, grieving, angry, afraid? Well, as much as anything else, you try to hug people and and just hold people who cry, and and there's a lot of emotions. No, there are there were people who were injured. You know, it took a while to figure out who all was still alive, who wasn't, that kind of thing. But um, at one point, I was asked by someone else who, uh, uh, one of the members at Bono, to come and, and see if I could identify one of the deceased in the morgue because they weren't sure who she was. It's not that she wasn't identifiable. They just weren't sure who she was, so they didn't know who to, uh, to notify. I did not know that particular young gal. Mm-hmm. But, um, see, part of the thing that, that really hit home for me is I had a niece and nephew in that building, they happened to go out the other end of the building, and they were in the gym area when everything went down, which was the building directly behind the, where all these young people had been shot. I mean, bullet marks, bullet pock marks on the wall were were all over the place. I had 22 or 23 different spots were bullet marks, but they were really up high. And so there was a chain-link fence that ran between the area where the shooters were at and where the kids were and the, and the teachers were. And it kind of ran at an angle, and, and you could see places on that chain-link fence where there had been you know deflections of bullets, and so a lot of those went high. And I don't know how many were intentionally shot high because they would claim, the, the shooters would claim that the they weren't intending to hit anyone. You know, they were just wanting to scare people, that kind of thing. But Is that something both those boys, I guess, held to for the rest of their... To my knowledge. Yeah. And, and and one of them has had died in a car wreck just a couple... I read two, about that this morning ago. as Andrew Golden, yes. which I guess he changed his name. Uh, yeah. yeah. And and see, another part of that, that that really makes this personal is my wife's family knew that family well. 
the her his parents and and my wife and her siblings they they all kind of ran together knew each other well lived in the same community and so this wasn't just something that some nebulous random kids that nobody knew uh, were involved in. And, and after the last of the funerals, I actually got a phone call from a, a talk radio program up northeast. Don't remember, couldn't even tell you who it was. And, and they wanted to know that if I would speak to them on air. And I thought for a moment and then I thought yeah I will because I don't think anyone here will ever hear it mm-hmm. and and so I did but uh, they asked me questions and I shared some thoughts and that kind of thing but I, when I closed this particular um, thing I asked them if I could share one more thing and, and, and they said sure and I said you need to understand the way our area is being portrayed as a bunch of gun-toting killing redneck kind of things and 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 we're not and and I don't I can't explain what exactly went wrong with these these two young men uh young boys 13 and 11 but you know these are people who yes families have lost loved ones and families have suffered injury and and but you've got two families that are suffering because their children are the ones that have perpetrated all of this mm-hmm. and and they need to be thought about and prayed about too did you ever get a chance to connect with andrew or mitchell's parents or do you know anybody that did um not directly after after the events no i did not i had like I say i had actually been up in Perigold since April of 97, mm-hmm. and so I had not seen Andrew's parents for, for some time, but I used to drive a bus at Westside. I mean, like that's where I went to school and graduated from, and my kids went to school there before we moved up here. And so um, I had seen him quite often as he'd come to pick up Andrew as, uh, you know, at the end of the school day and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's it, it, it's a lot more personal for me, even from the outside looking in, because I did have inward Absolutely. connections there. Yeah. And had we still been there, and here's another one of those things, my son would have been in the elementary school. My daughter would have been in that building. She would have probably, but she could possibly have come out that end because there were some music students, band students, I think, and maybe they, the newspaper said choir students, but I'm not sure that it wasn't a band class that came out the west end of that building. And and so she could have been in the middle of that. Wow. And, and it's just one of those things that, that scares you to death when you think about it. So go back to March 24th. So you have, and I'm just going off of what I've read on uh, different reports, but you have, you know, Mitchell Johnson, 13, Andrew Golden, 11. They pack up a van with you know they they intentionally miss the school bus that day they pack up their van with snacks sleeping bags all that i guess with an intent of after the shooting to flee and who knows what they got all this ammunition all these guns andrew pulls the fire alarm goes back and i'm recounting this for those who for some reason maybe they're not as familiar with it runs back to these woods the kids start filing out and then that's whenever the shooting begins eventually those guys are both i think caught very close to the school and then prosecuted and i don't know if it's still true but at the time i think they were the youngest 
people ever to be accused or, or, or convicted of murder. Uh, I don't know if that's still the case, but I'm not sure. But I think that may have been certainly. And, and you know the thing about Westside, it wasn't the first school shooting, but this yeah. the youngest, yeah. and and to my knowledge, anyway. And certainly at that time, the way that the thing went down, it, it just got to the heart of a lot of people. Yeah, and so it starts around 12.43. It doesn't last very long, I'm guessing. No. It doesn't, and so by a little after one, you said you're at St. Bernard's, people are filing in. What happened? What do you remember from there as the day kind of unfolds? Um, it became obvious that, you know, there were already some deceased. I, I had found the, the parents of, of Paige Herring just accidentally stumbled upon them and spend a little time with them and and along with that there was many people that were with them um i you know i said i'd been asked to go into the morgue to identify the the young lady and i wasn't able to identify her but i just didn't know her personally but as i came out and i i knew her uncle who was the twin brother of her dad and we we passed in the hall and they were looking for her and so i can't imagine what moments later they discovered there, and I thought about that a, a thousand times since, but um, went into the hospital. I spent a, a quite a bit of time with um, the the family of, of Shannon Wright because it was 8, 8.30, something like that, before she passed. They, they took oh, her into wow. surgery, and... They tried to, to, to save her, but she had a lot of, of damage. Um, there were a lot of people gathered there with them, and I can't remember exactly what time it was. Like I say, it was in the evening there when when um, when she finally passed, and the family was able to go in to see her. But uh, they tried valiantly to save her, and there just wasn't any way to do it apparently a lot of internal damage and she was shielding another student yeah she was literally a hero right yeah i i would say that and and one of the things that one of the articles had that has been written about things that were said um, you know she was a hero long time before she shielded a student from a bullet uh, because teachers give their lives and their energies and their talents and 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 such to to try their best to to impart knowledge and wisdom and lots of things into the lives of their students so she it wasn't just a matter of what she did that day but she obviously she lost her life protecting another 32 years old yeah. Lynette Thetford, who was also teacher injured at Westside, she was also a member there at, at Bono, one of the our church people there at Bono, and and uh, bless her heart, she she could share with you some things that she dealt with because it took a while for her to be able to recover physically, but you know she she carries a a fair amount of scars obviously from from all of those things so the particular the church at bono the bono church of christ was particularly affected it seems like in all of this but everyone was so what time did you go home that day or night maybe nine or so and and, and because 
I had been in the middle of everything. All right, I wasn't watching the news. I wasn't aware of all the things. All I knew is that there was tragedy happening here and, and, and those kinds of things. It, when I headed down the hill from St. Bernard's, down that north side going to the parking lot, John Kenyonis from ABC News was coming up the hill, and that's It just kind of hit me how significant and how tragic and all that everything was related to this. And I'd never been in a situation that was such an... Uh, what's the word? An incredibly tragic story. And, and I don't minimize some other tragedies that Jonesboro has been through. You know, I, I'm old enough to remember the 1968 tornado where 30-some-odd people died and the 73 tornado and all those things. But those you can't control the weather, and, and this is a, an entirely different kind of tragedy. And, and, and one of the things that was so amazing to me was that in the, in the – days and even weeks to come but the days to come particularly all the signs and restaurants and all these things that that prayers for west side you know those types of things and it and it really hit me really really hard that such a tragedy has has brought an entire community together and you know schools everybody needs a uh, rivalry and all those kind of things that didn't even matter in, in those moments people were just there for one another and that was that was a, a real blessing that came out of that. Just the the unity and and the the people who really cared about what was going on. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate that oftentimes it takes a tragedy, maybe not quite of that magnitude, but to remind us that we all need each other. You know, oh my, and all yeah. of this stuff that we often complain about and fight about and think is such a big deal. It just it starts seeming a lot more petty and just dumb, you know, and it kind of falls yeah. the wayside and. What do you think, do you remember that what that next morning was like for you, waking up? I, uh, I were some, you know, things we were, the, the herrings had asked pretty quickly. I don't remember, it may have been while they were still in the, the room after they'd known that Paige had passed, that if I, if I could, would do their funeral, which I was honored to do. And and it's just the next several days there were lots and lots of, of running everywhere just to see what you could do to be of some help or support or whatever. And uh, there was I don't remember now exactly when it was in relation to all the, to that Tuesday and and the funerals. The funerals happened all on Friday or Saturday of that particular week, but I think it was the next week where they had the, the big memorial service there at, at, at ASU. And uh, th- there was there was just, I don't know, there's a blur of things and a lot of emotion, and I just I cried a lot. I, um, I would drive down the road, down the street in, in Jonesboro, and I'd pass one of those signs, and I'd just be riding by myself, and I'd just break down and cry mm-hmm. because something so tragic had happened. But... At least one of the churches in in Jonesboro put on their sign, you know, 
this isn't supposed to happen anywhere. And, and that's really, really true. You know, I said a while ago, this is not the kind of thing that happens here. It's not supposed to happen anywhere. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's just, I don't know, we are a sin-sick world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You driving around crying is one of the most Jesus-y things you could do. You know, we, we talk in our church at least about how um, sometimes, depending on what your church background is, you can look at crying as a sign of weakness of mm-hmm. like, you know, hey, focus on the positive. And it's like, you know, if you look at the Gospels, when Jesus loses his friend Lazarus, oh my. even though he knows what's about to happen, the first thing it says he does is he wept. And wept doesn't just mean he dabbed his eye. I mean, no. he, was, he was really... And he was hurting for people who were hurting. Absolutely. As you said, he came there knowing he was going to raise him from the dead. But He, he hurts let, for people yeah. who hurt. Yeah, he let grief wash over him. Yeah. And that's such a healthy response to tragedy of any kind. Yeah. Is to not just get busy trying to ignore the pain, but let it wash over you and just mm-hmm. experience it. Like this is, like you said, that sign sums it up. This is not the way things are supposed to be. And, Ever, and we should anywhere. cry over those things. Yeah. And we should mourn those things. And when we try to turn off grief, you can't turn off grief without turning off the other emotions of happiness and joy and those things. That's and so you true. end up kind of just living a you know, somewhat bottomed out existence. So you <clears throat> you end up doing um Paige's, Paige's funeral, yeah, but you also assisted with okay, Shannon. Was that the same day or different day? Paige's funeral was the first one okay. of all of them, and that was on Friday. And then Shannon's funeral was the fourth one, the, and the last one, the, the burial. I, I made it to all the funerals except for the last one because of the timing of that, but I made it to the graveside part of, of that one. It was down south of Jonesboro, closer to Harrisburg, I believe, is where she was buried, but... Um, at any rate, how Paige, do you sit down to prepare a message for a twelve-year-old little girl who just got murdered well, in her school? I, it, just take me through that process. I mean, obviously, as a pie mask and as a pastor, but I'm just—I think it's good for everybody to be in on what that process is like. You, you know, you can't—you can't make it not hurt. Absolutely, there's no way in the world that I can say anything or you can say anything or anyone can say anything that makes it not hurt. And and I learned a long time ago, you you, you make the reference to the, the Lazarus passage. I, I, I use that a lot in funerals because I can't do anything to change the circumstances of the deceased. All I can do is try to point the living to God. And that's the way I approach particularly people um, that I don't know, and even those that I do know, I think they need to hope, they need to have the hope that this is maybe a, this will be a defining moment. This does not need to be the defining moment of the rest of your life. Because a lot of people, they get lost in grief and they can't get out of it. And the thing about it is, the Herrings still had another child, and and they have life left to live, and and so they they um, 
I just try to to do what I can to be as supportive as I can, and and the um, the movie Titanic had just come out, and I'm not certain that it was played at all the funerals, but I know at a rather large number of the funerals, there that that my heart goes on. They played that right before I spoke the message part and I had to stand there and wait for the there was a lot of tears and 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 audible um, it was you know and and this is just an aside I have no desire to see the movie because of what that song yeah does to me the connection that I have. So I've never even watched the movie Titanic. But I, I had, I don't always r- literally type out what I'm going to say, but I had on that particular deal. And, and I think I had in my notes a couple of the things that the, some, there was an Associated Press writer somewhere in a month, a month that there were people all in, in Farmers Union Funeral Home in the foyer and outside looking in through the doors and so some of the things that I said got picked up and, and printed in, in newspapers and the the part about forgiveness I literally got hate mail over wow. because I think you know I said the healing cannot begin until we forgive mm. now what some people think that you say when you say something like that is you need to get those two young men, young boys, out of their cell, slap them on the wrist and say, y'all don't do that again, and let them go. And that's not what I was saying. What, one thing the Associated Press did not pick up was the thing that I said right before that. The thing I said before that was I know – at this time, and because of the laws of the state of Arkansas, that justice will not be carried out at least the way some people would want it to be. But this I know, the healing cannot begin until we forgive. Because forgiveness is my choice. Now, only God can take away the guilt of sin. Hmm. But my responsibility in that, and, and all of our responsibility is I choose not to hold ill will toward you. Now, just because I know that intellectually does not mean that that happens instantly. Sure. That is a process, and depending upon the loss that anyone has suffered, it may be a process that takes a long time. Yeah. But we've all heard stories of people who who suffered losses very similar to what those parents and those families suffered at Westside, that they were able to get to a point in their life where they chose not to hold ill will toward another. If the kind of love that Jesus has is a choice, unconditional, I love you in spite of, then isn't forgiveness a choice as well? Mm-hmm. It's not how I feel. Mm-hmm. And and at that moment, it wasn't going to, to be that people are just going to say, well, 
I want what is best for you, even in spite of what you've done. But that's a goal that everyone can work to. But I, I received some hate mail over that from different parts of the country. And that's astonishing to me, but maybe they were working through their own grief. And they, one of them cut out the article, circled that statement in the paper, and wrote, you idiot, why? When did the hate mail start coming in? Within days. And I, I like maybe three, four letters. Yeah. But one of them was an article that had happened, you know, the, there was a shooting in Paducah, Kentucky, or in that area, not long before the West Side deal. And, and one of the articles that had been written uh, would talked about forgiveness. And somebody even wrote uh, an article called When Forgiveness is a Sin. Oh, wow. And, and it was some, somebody supposedly from a theological background. And, and like I say, I just... I don't think I'm I'm willing to let God handle the the guilt of somebody else's sin because I just don't have the right number one to handle the guilt of someone else's sin because I've got enough of my own. Sure. Yeah. You you said in the um, and I read what you're talking about. It was in the Washington Post and, and several newspapers yeah. all over. The AP apparently had that. And, uh, you know, you, you said in there, or the way they quoted you was, God did not leave Jonesboro on Tuesday. That's correct. God wants us to be a beacon of hope, of light, and love to a world that needs it so badly. And the healing, the healing that we all need, right, mm-hmm. cannot begin until we forgive. I'm curious to talk more about that. Um, when someone experiences trauma like that, it's true, and we know this now. Neuroscience shows us this, and, and n- nobody in medicine denies this, but our bodies literally hold trauma physically. Um, and I agree with you that forgiveness uh, is necessary for healing. But what do you mean by that? How can somebody, how does, how does forgiveness help bring healing after whether it's a, a, a tragedy like the West Side School shooting or a spouse that betrays you or a friend or, or whatever it may be, someone hurts you at work, school. Why is forgiveness so necessary for healing? The thing that a lot of people I don't think realize is when I hold something against someone else, they may or may not even know, and they are certainly not hurt by my feelings toward them, unless I act on my feelings and do something physically or in some way to, to harm them. But what it does do is it harms me. Mm-hmm. I'm the one, and we've all heard the illustration of, you know, acid in a, in a jar, in a container will ultimately consume the container. It will eat it. And, and that's what animosity and bitterness and rage and, and wrath and all those things that's what they do to the person who holds that. Um, and that doesn't matter whether you're talking about angry at God. You and I both know people who are angry at God for something. Mm-hmm. I know an individual that she blames God for taking her spouse. Mm-hmm. The thing that people don't 
at that moment they can't realize, I guess is the way I'm saying, is they're not the first person to lose a spouse. They won't be the last, last person to lose a spouse. The, crazy, and this is an, an aside, but my brother was killed in a car wreck in 2009 in a freak accident car wreck. Mm-hmm. All right, it's one of these deals where he's driving along on a Saturday morning on a, a beautiful sunny day, but there happened to be been back in the, and this happened in January of 2009. And, and back in the fall, there had been somebody who had done some land leveling on some land east of Cash and very sandy soil. It's happened to be on the day that my brother had this accident that he was driving along a very windy day and he came to a point where there, the, the, the wind was blowing the sand. It looked like the Sahara Desert. I mean, it was just, you couldn't see through it. Well, the road between Cash and Jonesboro at that time was a two-lane road with no shoulders. He had, he drove into this cloud, and, and there had already been an accident. Someone had rear-ended someone, and they'd gotten to the side of the road. Well, he pulled over into the other lane, got around, and I don't know if he couldn't see to get back. He didn't get back in time, whatever, hit a vehicle head-on, and, and it pretty much killed him instantly. And it's one of those things where I could choose to be mad at God, but if my seat, my brother had been wearing his seatbelt, he would have survived the accident. Uh, there's all kinds of things you can either choose to to be angry at the circumstances or angry that, that what happened or whatever. But I can't blame God. There's other people who who lose their life every day in some kind of a thing. Just think about the people in Florida who are dealing with the the, the condo that collapsed and all those people who have, things happen. Yeah. in this life and i can't control any of them but i can control how i react absolutely and you know i've and i'm tempted to do the same thing you know it's like right now i'm able to breathe and my heart is beating and my three kids are healthy and my wife is healthy and 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 i don't know if i've even as a pastor stopped today and actually i know i haven't and thanked god for every one of those blessings yeah that just occurs every single day. But then one thing bad happens, and I tend to want to shake my fist at him and be like, where were you at? You know, And mm-hmm. and it is easy to become bitter at God. I think it's easy for people to are angry at God over these things, especially if you're a person of faith, because you think, oh, look at these things I've done. And oh, I'm such a good you, guy. Yeah, why are good, these why happening to me? me? And, and one of the things that uh, we've talked about, and I've talked about with others, is I spoke with a man, I remember one time at Dairy Queen, and, and he said he had lost his faith after his daughter had died. And, you know, the the, the thing is, is as easy as it seems to just write God off whenever something like that bad happens, well, now you're dealing with the fact that the loss of your daughter, the loss of your loved one still hurts a lot, mm-hmm. but there's no meaning behind the death, and you're not even really sure why it hurts. Because if there is no God then what's the purpose of life and who's to even say death is bad yeah. or losing a child is bad because life is meaningless, you know? And so it doesn't help no. to hold the grudge or to write God off. And I think back to, you're talking about bitterness and that, that, uh, the jar and the acid it reminds me of a CS Lewis quote where he said that, uh, bitterness is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Yeah. It's and like, it's going to hurt the rat. If you, you drink, drink the rat poison. Yeah. And that, is what a lot of people do. They they. Some people feel like they have the right to be angry. Yes, mm-hmm. I understand that. Sure. 
But who does it really, really hurt if you let that consume you? Yeah. And there's a way to be angry and not sin, we know, Paul tells us. Mm-hmm. And then there's an anger that leads to resentment and bitterness. Yeah. And that's what you're talking about that, that yeah. will actually wreck you. And it will drive a wedge. And it will impact, unfortunately, and I've seen it in my own life, not just your relationship between you and the person who hurts you, but your relationship with everybody else around you who loves you. Absolutely. I'm wondering from your experience, how do you forgive? How does uh, maybe even someone listening, everyone who's listening has been sinned against, has been hurt. Absolutely. Um, We have people that we could in our minds justify holding bitterness towards or whatever, right? It's like, how, how do we, excuse me, how do we find the strength to forgive? Now, because I have not been the direct victim of something like happened at Westside, and there's a lot of things I haven't been the direct victim of. You know, people can say, well, you know, it's it's easier said than done. And I understand that it forgiveness is a process. Sure. It, it and, and I think you have to I think it's a lifeline depending a lifetime, excuse me, depending upon how much and what type of hurt and, and how close the person who has hurt you is to you and all those kinds of things. I, I just can't get beyond Jesus on the cross who is giving his life for the people who have put him there and saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I have never gone through anything that is remotely similar to what Jesus went through. And and the the, the crazy thing for me, crazy is in... If I was Jesus, if I'd been willing to come to this earth, to leave the Father's side and, and come to earth and do what he did, I would have come at a time in, in, a, in a culture, in a, in a location where crucifixion wasn't the manner of death, the most cruel yeah. death that has ever been invented. And, and, and for Jesus, who had already been deserted by his disciples— Denied within earshot of him, I don't even know you. I don't even know that man. A mock trial, crowds hollering, let Barabbas go crucify him, scourged mercilessly, unable to even carry the part of the cross that he would have to carry because he was so weak because his humanity was real and he and all those things and and having nails driven through your wrist and feet and then hoisted up for people to mock humiliate you know Jesus 100% God 100% human you cannot discount the 100% humanity Absolutely. And which means he physically hurt, he emotionally hurt. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he, he hurt in every way that there is to hurt. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, which means I choose not to hold ill will toward them. Father, I ask you to not hold ill will toward them. I just... 
with what he has gone through, I don't know how I'll have a right. And uh, and I'm can I can I read a passage that is and maybe it doesn't sure. apply. I think it definitely does. Sure. Um, I, I love not because I think it's easy because I just don't think it is. But I think it's if we could learn to to practice what Romans twelve talks about. You know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. The um, see if I can get to it here. I should have marked it. Romans 12, the end of Romans 12, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody, if it is possible. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. That's what we like to do. You know, I mean, that's that's the emotional part of of the hurt and the anger and the wrath and all those things. I do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is writ- it is mine to re- avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, well, this is not the natural reaction. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap uh, burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Mm. If I allow the anger and the bitterness and, and the sorrow and the hurt and the pain to consume me, then I'm certainly not going to be able to respond with good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw some pretty amazing things that happened. This, un, totally unrelated to the idea of forgiveness, this is just when the goodness of human nature comes out. Okay. I went to Westside in the days following all of this. And the, the, the principal there at the, at the middle school said, I'm going to show you a couple of things. I got a letter today from the United Kingdom that said the only address on the, on the envelope was School of Sadness, USA. Got all the way to West Side. And the, the Postal Service got that thing delivered. There was one that came to uh, the Herring family that just said to the parents of Paige Herring, uh, Jonesboro, Arkansas, and it was from northwest Arkansas, so that wasn't as difficult to see, but the one from the United Kingdom, that's astonishing. Wow. That, and people were, they, do, they went out of their way to do what they could to be of help. In the in the worst of tragedies, the goodness of people comes out. Mm-hmm. And it's very uplifting in a lot of ways. You know, I can't do everything. I can't do much. I'll do what I can do. That goes a long way. Yes, it does. And I think what was so meaningful about what you did is exactly what you said you just did what you could do and there was no playbook for something like that i think sometimes when tragedy hits we think well what can i do and we don't know and it's and everything we do feels so insignificant something like that like but just be in a presence and just trying the best you can just to be there and i love how and we see it in job right you said that when you were there you just hugged the families and one of the biggest mistakes Job's friends made right they they were such good comforters up until they opened their mouth. Yeah, they did really well there for about a week yeah. until they 
started talking. <laughs> yes. But isn't it astonishing? We feel like we have to say the right thing. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I, I learned is telling somebody, well, this must be God's will. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh mercy. What does that do for a person <laughs> yeah. Who, yeah. who may or may not know God, may, may or may not have a connection with God, and all of a sudden you mean to tell me the God that you say is the God of love wanted that. Yeah. I've heard someone say before that they had a pastor say that to them, and they said everything, and I wanted to punch the pastor in the face and say, I guess that must have been God's will too. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Um, I'm, I'm curious before we end, and it's, thank you so much for sharing and being vulnerable with us and uh, letting us see your tears. and um, It's been really meaningful for me. I'm, I'm curious, how has... Now, 23 years later, as you look back and reflect on this, how has it changed your life? I hug my kids a lot tighter. You asked me a while ago what time I went home and, and, you know, that kind of thing. It was that evening. See, another part of this story is I told you, if we had not been here, my children went to school at Crowley's Ridge Academy and graduated from there. But my, my daughter and my wife were on a school trip to Little Rock when this all happened. And and her teacher was keenly aware of where she'd come from and the people that, you know, connected and all that kind of thing. Took her into a side room, I think maybe in the governor's office. They were in the Capitol and broke the news to her. And, and, and you know, of course, she just went to pieces because she didn't know. And she you didn't know who was who survived, who didn't, and all and and so you know it was very personal there for me there was a lot of ways this this connected without even being directly mm-hmm. involved and my niece and my nephew you know they could have definitely been in harm's way and were close and they were scared to death but it it i i, I appreciate the people who do the difficult work of first responders and those kind of things. I have a, a deep appreciation for those people who, who run toward the bullets, you know, who run toward the the, the sound of, of, of people being harmed when most anybody else would be willing to, you know, running the other way. One of the guys I graduated with from Westside was, custodian, was a custodian in middle school. He had gotten away from God because he'd gotten busy doing other things in life and making money and, and all this thing. God took a back seat. And he wound up with cancer, and I wound up doing his funeral a couple of years later. But as he was in the hospital, well, it was actually not long after that, I went up to the school, and they were cleaning up blood and things from the outside. And he just cried. He said, I, I was in that hallway I could see what was going on at that door, and I was too scared to go out. And it, it affected him for the rest of his life, which wasn't very long, as it turned out. But um, I think it, it shook him, and it got him to thinking about the fragility of life. You know, I, I have no control over what anyone else is going to do. I have a hard enough time controlling myself. Absolutely. You know? yeah, sure. And so it, it makes you look at, at the at the temporariness of life as far as here goes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's what we have this tendency to do. Um, you made comment while ago about death. You know, for those of us who are, are 
that our hope is in, in Jesus Christ, that's just a transition. Death is, is leaving this life to be with God forever. And so for me, if it were me, that would be a good thing. I had a heart attack back in 2016 that could have taken me. I mean, I was in the ER when I coded, as a matter of fact. If I had not been in the ER when the worst of it hit, I'd have gone to be with the Lord. But I had already been trying to work through the symptoms and trying to figure out if it was just indigestion or what. But I had already told the Lord, as if this really matters, but you know how we do. We bargain with God when things happen. I said, Lord, if this, if this is it, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Just... All I ask is you take care of the ones that I leave behind. And for whatever reason, God spared me and things are, are well and my heart still, you know, you talked about the the little things of life. Blood flow is one of those things I have a deep appreciation for yeah. because when you have a blockage that, that strangles off the blood flow, it, 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 it makes you think, well, I'm thankful for breath. I'm thankful for sleeping in a bed at night. I'm thankful for sleeping under a roof. I'm thankful for all the things. So I, I think a lot of things have changed in, in my general perspective of life. Mm-hmm. Just thankful for it. Mm-hmm. A life of gratitude and seems like contentment. Um, the older I get, I'm only 38, but the more that sounds like a life well lived. Yeah. So I have socks that are older than you, by the way. <laughs> Those are some good socks. <laughs> You got your I money's need to, worth. Well, I have definitely gotten something. I'm not sure if it's my money's <laughs> worth, but anyway. Well, Brother Gary, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. And uh, I've, I've really enjoyed This is the first time we've got a chance to connect. And so, yes, it is. Uh, but I've got your number now, and, and I hope we get to connect more in the future. So, I, thank I appreciate you for your time. it. I'm very honored that you would have me on. All right. So, that was Gary Cremines and um, Bill. Uh, this was the first episode that we've had a chance to record since I've gotten back from sabbatical. And, man, and you did what, great. Thank you. What a good episode. Yeah. Um, that's I, I'm not supposed to have favorites, but that was one of my favorite um, moments old, so far. How old were you when that happened? Let's see. If that happened in 98, I was in ninth grade. So what would have been 15? Probably. Yeah. So I, I remember actually that day fairly well because my brother's birthday is March 24th. And so we went to Steak and Shake in Jonesboro that night. I'm not sure why my parents decided to go to Jonesboro that night, but we did. Mm-hmm. And I uh, just remember everybody in the restaurant was still talking about it and the waitress. And so, yeah, it's just one of those events where you, you remember where yeah. you were. So I was in Melbourne you? at that time. And I remember news got to us pretty quickly, and we were all impacted by it because it. I was 10, and so it was a middle school shooting. But then I moved to Jonesboro, and I had several friends um, who were there firsthand, Alex Beasley, mm-hmm. uh, several other friends too. Yeah, well, Gary, again, thank you for mm-hmm. coming on. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm so thankful that you're willing to share with us. Hey, if you're still listening to this, as always, I thank you for tuning in. Um, we just want to encourage you, as you've heard us uh, do several times before, just to please um, give us a five-star review on iTunes. Five-star rating. Five-star rating. And then leave a written review. Is that how that works? Mm-hmm. Okay. And that'd be excellent. A five-star rating and leave a good review. That helps other people to find us, right, Bill? And exactly. learn more about the people here in Paragould. And so 
Um, you can still subscribe to our email list. Uh, we're also on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, so you can learn more about us there. We've not done a giveaway in a while. I think it's about time that we do that again. Mm-hmm. And so um, be looking for that. And again, as always, uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>